is the word of the Lord, Luke 4, 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took, him, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil has ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I'd like to welcome the children up for our children's message at this time. If you can bring your chairs up here to my left, to your right. Our children's message is entitled, Jesus Helps Us When We're Tempted. Now I know that my children's message is not as good as, uh, as Paul's, but bear with me. <laughs> good morning! One more time. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't it great to be at church in the morning? To be with all your brothers and sisters? And look at all these uncles and aunts that you have who love you and who want to help you. Do you you know what they want to help you with? What do you think they want to help you with? Maybe how to do your hair? No. Some of you, yeah, help you do your hair. How about how to sing? Some of you perhaps how to say. Okay? But you know why God gave us the church? God gave us the church to help us to grow to love who? Who's the most important person to love? God. God or Jesus is the most important person for us to learn how to love. Okay? Who teaches us how to love Jesus? Who teaches us? The pastor, that's one person. Who else teaches us how to love Jesus? Who teaches you how to love Jesus? Anybody? The Bible? Your mom and dad, maybe? Yes, your mom and dad helps you to love Jesus. And everyone here helps you to love Jesus. But we have actually a really special helper who helps us. You know, when you believe in Jesus, who lives inside you? Can you say Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit lives inside you. And you know what the Holy Spirit does for you? It helps you to, one, believe in Jesus. But number two, it helps you to fight. And it helps you to fight the devil. And it helps you to fight whenever you're tempted to do things against God. You guys ever feel tempted to do wrong things? Like your parents say, there's a cookie on the table. 
Do you say, oh, I'm not going to touch the cookie? Or do you go, maybe I can just touch the cookie? Maybe I just take a little bite of the cookie. Maybe I eat the whole cookie, and it's all gone. But you know what the Holy Spirit does for us when we're tempted? It helps us to fight and say, God, when I'm tempted to say, oh my goodness, when I'm tempted to say, I'm not going to obey my dad or my mom, or I'm tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to complain. When you're tempted to say, like, I don't want to believe in God anymore, or I'm really scared, you know what you can say? You can say, Holy Spirit, help me. And you can say, Holy Spirit, I see the devil, or I see temptation coming and opening the door. It's just about to open the door. It's just about to open the door and come in. You know what I can say? I can say, Holy Spirit, close the door. And you know what the Holy Spirit will do? It'll close the door. Because that's what God does for us. When you're tempted to do something wrong, you say, Holy Spirit, stop it. Holy Spirit, close the door. And what, the, what will the Holy Spirit do? It'll close the door. So next time, let's say that you're tempted to fight with your brother and sister. Okay? And you know it's wrong. What will you say? You'll say, Holy Spirit, close the door. Ready? One, two, three. Holy Spirit, close the door. And you know what? God will help you to do the right thing. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these children that you've given to us. We pray for these children's hearts above all else, that your spirit will live in them, and that your spirit will help them to fight every temptation. Even at this age, Lord God, your spirit can do great work in them. Father, help us never to uh, underestimate these children, and never to underestimate, Lord, the work that you can do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's go back to our parents, and we're going to worship all together, okay? Morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be together um, to worship as a family. Um, I can't stress to you the importance of seeing all the age groups that we have. And I can't wait for us to get older, and I can't wait till we get younger and younger people. I love having people from different experiences being able to share what God is doing. Why? Because it gets us out of our comfort zone. When you're in college and you do all college ministry, what's exciting about it is that everyone has the same experiences that you have. And it helps a lot. But in reality, God's church and God's people are bigger than your own life stage. And to hear parents talk about what they wrestle with, even if you can't relate directly, you can say in your heart and in your mind, God is working in them. Praise the Lord. And when you're older and you see high school students, elementary school students, and college students wrestle with what you wrestle with, what you say in your heart is not, oh, they'll learn when they get older. No, you say in your heart, 
praise God that they are wrestling with this now. Praise God that we have people in the future who can speak the gospel message for their culture and their time. Because as an older person with kids, you don't know what's happening in the world as much as you used to. God's kingdom is better than ourselves and our own life stage. Praise God for the children that we have here. And so when you look at one another and you see one another, respect each other with the highest respect. For God's kingdom is coming to fruition, even here at Christ's Covenant Presbyterian Church. Our sermon today is entitled, The Temptation of Jesus. And today we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And we see the ministry of Jesus beginning. We've seen in the Gospel of Luke already the, the birth of Jesus. Uh, we've seen John the Baptist prepare the way. And everything is set up for the ministry of Jesus to begin. The question of, will God speak again into this world about salvation after 400 plus years of silence? We see John the Baptist coming and being the first to speak the very words of God for a very, very long time. And people coming to be baptized because people are longing for two things. One, for forgiveness of sins. They're longing for the fulfillment of the temple. And they're longing even for their own sort of individual desires and, and concerns in their own lives as well. And John the Baptist reminds us, though, that although his message of repentance is great, there will be one coming after him who is even greater. And that person in the story of, of the Gospel of Luke is Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ goes before John the Baptist. And as he's baptizing all these people who are coming to him in the Jordan, Jesus himself is baptized. And Jesus is baptized because that baptism is a little bit different than ours. That baptism is his way of saying, I now identify myself with all of humanity. I am both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And I am now embarking upon my duty, upon my journey, upon fulfilling God's plan to bring redemption to humanity. And so for all those years that Jesus has been studying and growing in righteousness, comes to the Jordan, becomes baptized, and now he's ready. Ready to do the task that the Lord has set before him. Now I think for many of us, when we think of, of being ready for a task that is set before us, we get very much excited for the new journey that is before us. Some of you have moved out to Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta Georgia and you're excited about your, 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 your new job here, your new college experience, perhaps your new life with someone special here together. And there's nothing, nothing but looking at the future and the brightness before you. 
But there's something very interesting that happened to Jesus that we have to be aware of as, as Christians, as, as people who, who know the Lord. Before Jesus was ready to go forth and do the gospel ministry, before, after he was, as it says in verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, he was led in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. What a way for even the Son of God to be prepared for the, for the task that was set before him. And I want to stop here just for a brief second before we go on to the main points of the, of the message today. We understand that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way but was without sin. We understand that he was fully human in the sense that he had the ability to choose righteousness, but he also had the ability to choose unrighteousness. But, God was, but Jesus was perfect because even though he was tempted, he always chose what was right before the Lord. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to go through a period of training, 40 days, before doing the task that he'll set before him. We have to understand, even in our own lives, that as believers in Jesus Christ, that once we come to know him, that does not mean that life is set up for us like a buffet for the rest of our lives. but that we understand that the life before us will be full of temptations, full of trials. And if it was set up for Jesus for the sake of his messianic task, even for us as God's people, these trials and temptations are set up for us to do greater work for God and his gospel and his ministry. And so we take the fatherly discipline in stride, although it is not pleasant at the time, we understand God is doing his work in us, that we may draw closer to his will and his love that we may have even a greater part if I, can, if I can put it that way in his kingdom greater insight into his plan and into his will and greater joy in when whatever is set before us and so if you as God's people are going through trials and temptations you're going through difficulties Welcome to the faith. <laughs> if even Jesus Christ, our Savior, went through this, do you think we would be exempt or not? But just as Jesus went through it, 
to become, to fulfill his task and grow closer to his father during his time here. So we too have that joyous task before us. So be encouraged as we look through this passage itself. We see Jesus being tempted in three different ways. He was hungry. When you fast, you get hungry. And no, this is not intermittent fasting. This is not simply a third-day fast to reset your immune system. This was a spiritual fast for Jesus Christ to clear his mind and clear his heart, to understand that he must rely upon God and nothing else. There's something special about having nothing and knowing that all you need and all you have is Jesus himself. We do not know that we need Jesus until, as the famous quote goes, unless we know that Jesus is all we need and Jesus is all we have. And so here's even Christ himself learning that his Father and his presence and his will is all that he needs. So the devil says to him in verse 3, if you are the Son of God, command the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The first temptation to Jesus is a temptation for familiar to us. It's the temptations to really believe that God does not understand and will not fulfill the basic needs of life. We understand in the Father's prayer, give us our, uh, uh, give us our daily bread. We understand in our minds that God shall supply for us everything that we need to live. But here in this passage, it's acutely felt that I have no food to eat. Who should I depend upon to grant me my daily necessities? And the answer to Jesus, from Jesus is very simple. Man shall not live by bread alone. That life, our life is sustained by God and nobody else. For us as God's people, we understand that the basic necessities are important. And we understand that in, in this time and age that, that God has given us the abilities to 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 uh, um, to um, to sustain ourselves. That's a gift that God has given. But we have to remember that it's not sort of simply um, providing for ourselves through what God has given us that is wrong. But it's for us to understand that whatever needs that we have, these basic necessities, that we trust upon God and God himself 
and his ways to provide for us. Children understand this very well, and parents understand this very well. If you ask a child, children out there, what do you want for dinner? You want pizza or do you want broccoli and salad? Children, for dinner, do you want chicken wings, twice baked potatoes, but their, their favorite, at least my kids' favorite, mac and cheese, twice baked? Or would you rather have some nice greens, some fruit? Children instinctively know, and I know all of you are saying the same thing, give me, give me the carbs. <laughs> it is not that these needs that Jesus is feeling is wrong. It's what he fills them with and how he fills it. Through self-sufficiency, through ungratefulness, Or do we fulfill these needs knowing that God is the one who gives us everything that we have? And that even those days that we don't have anything, to know that God will still provide. This is the temptation Jesus faced. This is the temptation that we face as well. The second temptation here in verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here is the devil himself asking him to please pledge his allegiance to him and him alone. And if he does so, all the things on earth will be given to him. This is the offer of the devil and the offer of the world. Give me your allegiance and I shall give you all things. And once again, Jesus is tempted just as you and I are tempted by these same things as well. How many of us, us have not tried to barter with God, perhaps, but with anyone? Just make my life easier. Just make me a success. Just help me have that relationship. Just give me what my heart desires and I will do anything for you. 
we see in the world this happening over and over and over again. People desiring power and will do anything for it. They will oppress people. They will lie and they will steal. They've sold their souls in order to gain the things of this world. They are the ones indeed who will, in this world, who die lonely. The New York Times, New Yorker, any magazine that you read, now it's all blogs, are, are filled with entries of men and women on their deathbeds with nothing but regret when they realize that no one is there to come visit them and comfort them. We understand as God's people that even if the whole world was given to us and yet we lost our own lives, that our relationship with God is severed. That that is not a deal that we would ever make. For who would be foolish enough to trade their life in heaven for even a billion dollars? That is a fool's errand for those of us, for all of us who know our Lord. But we do the same thing. The devil is not dumb enough to say, I'll give you everything, because we can see through that. The devil is smart enough, though, to say, I will offer these little snippets of the world if you give me just a snippet of your allegiance to me. Now, when you see that, you don't think you're actually talking to Satan. You actually think you're talking to simply yourself. You think you're actually talking to some reasonableness of this world. But these lies are from the devil, and whoever may be his emissary sending you these messages, it's still the message of, of, of Satan and, and, and the one who, who still has authority in this world. Well, we see it all the time. I want to marry this girl. I want to date this man. Do they know Jesus? No, not really. That's okay, right? It's okay, right? When we start making that deal in our minds, in our hearts, that it's okay to, to marry someone who doesn't have the same allegiance to God that, that I have. And for some reason, it starts to make sense where this wouldn't make sense in, in almost every other aspect of this world where you have deep convictions about anything. To marry someone who is 
contradicting your deep convictions. It just doesn't make sense in any way. But for some reason, for us as believers, we think that this makes sense to us. But it doesn't. We want a little piece of the world. We want the power, perhaps, finances, whatever it may be. We can say no and praise God that Jesus said no. Third and lastly, if you are the son of God, Sorry, verse 8. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down here. For as it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is said you shall not put your Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Thirdly and lastly, the greatest temptation that Jesus had was you just overthrow your father and just become God yourself. You become the standard bearer of all things. Rebel against the father just like you've done, like I have done. Surely, this is, this is the most foolish thing to do. We, we know it's a foolish thing to do. You know, it's like my kids trying to rebel against me. You know, every once in a while they think they have the upper hand, but you look at them and you're going, you foolish kid, what are you doing? There's no way. Or I joke around, like sometimes I, I feel like with my wife, I have, you know, we will have these discussions and I'll be like, oh, this time I'm right. And I'll go to my wife and I'll say, hey, I think we should do this, we should do that. And she looks at me and she's like, you poor fool. <laughs> You think you have all the information. I have all the information. Let me tell you why my ways are the right way. And after about a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm quiet. This is, this, this is a, foolish, this is a foolish, foolish temptation in, in many ways. How could Jesus become greater than his father? How could Jesus become like God? He is God in a sense. But that's what we do, right? And just like the analogy that I gave, it's like when my kids rebel, when I rebel, when we rebel against someone who has authority or someone who knows more than us, and we start talking about like how we know better, and, when, and as the words come out, hopefully you start to hear how foolish you are. And now that that foolishness comes out, what happens? You, you, you get humbled. Jesus says here, you should not put your God to the test. Because you will always look foolish. Whereas we act like fools all the time, yet by God's grace we're forgiven and we move forward, we know that Jesus himself never succumbed 
Now, in all these temptations, you will see a simple theme of Scripture. That the basic necessity for the believer is to know the Word of God. And this Word of God that we have through the Holy Spirit enables us to say no. The message for the children in a very simple way it's still true. There are times where we can't say no, but we say, God, spirit that lives in me because of, the, because of what Christ has done for me, please say no to temptation. Help me to say no to temptation. For us, it's, it's even greater with the word of God to be able to speak the words of God and to speak the truth into existence and to fight every temptation that is there. Now here's the question. How does this help us as believers in Jesus? Hebrews 4.15, and I know that many of you know this passage, but let me read this to you once again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of our, our need. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has been tempted in every way. It was without sin. He is our great counselor. He will give us mercy in our time of need. And in this day and age today, that's what many of us want and many of us still need. A counselor, someone to talk to, someone to hear me. My Savior Jesus, guess what? He knows everything about me. He knows all of my temptations. He's been tempted in every way. He was tempted because he wanted the basic needs of life. He was tempted because he wanted power and significance. He was tempted because ultimately he wanted to become his own God. I'm like that too. And that's great. And I encourage every one of you, when you are in your time of need, when you are in your time of despair, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to him. Pray to him. Talk to him. Speak to him. Yell at him. Whatever you need to do, just be with him. Let him know that you're there. <coughs> because it is our Christ and our Christ alone who can, who can counsel you and help you in every way. But there's a danger in this as well. Because our society has changed Jesus from being the Son of God, the Savior of this world, to simply Jesus, another good teacher, another guru, another person with good lessons about life. And if we allow Jesus to be simply that and nothing else, then we have misunderstood what Jesus has come to do. Yes, Jesus is your counselor. Yes, you can come to him. 
But if at the end of your counseling session with Jesus, let me say this again, at the end of your counseling session with Jesus, whether that takes an hour, whether it takes a day, whether it takes a week, whether it takes two weeks, whether it takes a month or two months, whether it takes, I don't know how long it will take, but after your counseling session or sessions with Jesus as you come to him, if at the end you, you leave and simply say, thank you, Jesus, and walk away, then you have not met Jesus. You have not met Jesus. You've met a Jesus in your imagination. Because the Jesus we know from Scripture, when you come to him, you talk about all these things. You talk about your temptations. You talk about your, the difficulties in your life. You talk about your sins. You talk, you talk about all these things. If at the end of your counseling session with Jesus, you are on your knees Worshiping the Son of God who died for your sins and covered your shame. If you're on your knees actually feeling small and feeling dumb, but also feeling loved and valued at the same time, then you've met your God. This is what Jesus came to do. Not to massage our hearts, but to transform our hearts. Not to massage our egos, but to see that our egos are in the wrong place. Jesus is more than the counselor. Jesus is the Son of God to be worshipped and served. And that is who he is and what he has done for us. But yes. Go to him. Meet him. Wrestle with him. Debate with him. And if you are ready to meet the real Jesus, the real Jesus will meet you. For those of us here who perhaps are still trying to understand the faith of Christianity. Perhaps there are some here trying to understand who this Jesus is. I want to encourage you not to simply see Jesus as a counselor. He's, he's wonderful. Not to look amongst the, the church people here and say, well, these are people who are broken and who, who need a crush to, to, to something to lean on. You know, we, we, we don't need a crutch. We, 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 we're, we're, uh, we're dead. <laughs> we don't worship Jesus because we need a little boost to get us over the hill. We need Jesus because we believe there's something fundamentally wrong with humanity and all of us. And that Jesus, by his life and his death, has done that. He's came to give us fullness of life. And that's why we worship him. Praise God for our Savior, Jesus Christ, tempted in every way, but without blemish. Praise him that he knows all, all of our temptations, all of our struggles. He can sympathize with us. Praise him that he's always there in our time of need, that we can always find mercy for him. 
praise him that we can come to him as a counselor. My prayer for all of us is that no matter how long this counseling time with our Lord lasts, that it always ends with our knees in prayer and praise to the God who loves us and to the God who has saved us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, we have no one else but you, and we worship you. Help us always, Lord God, to walk with you and to know, Lord, that you are our brother, to know that, Lord, that you are our counselor. In many ways, you carry, you wear many hats, but all these hats flow, Lord, from your main purpose in life, your main identity. For us as your people, you are our Savior, a God to be worshipped, a God to be obeyed, and a God who gives mercy. So help this church, Lord, help Christ's covenant to grow. Help us to love you as you have loved us. Help us to love the things, Lord, that you love, that we, be, that we may be counted as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.